There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Welcome to today's WCN-TV program. This is Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. I'm going to try to talk a little slower. I, I uh, did a radio commentary today in uh, uh, 13 minutes That uh, because that's how much time I'm allotted on the radio and uh, it's actually a 17-minute message, but I got her done in 13. So I'm going to try to Slow it down for y'all. I just got in here two minutes ago. Anyway, so the globalists continue in their push for total world domination and a new world, one world order. Things may have seemed quiet lately, but uh, behind the scenes, their nefarious plans have never stopped. Their continuing goal is to build back better in their own image, a world in their own imaginings where everyone and everything is under their control, monitored, tracked, and either approved or disapproved by AI. But as I explained a few weeks ago, in order to build back better, they first must tear down. So everything that is must be first destroyed so they can build it back. Take, for example, all the food processing plants across the country that have mysteriously burnt to the ground in the last couple of years, and not one single one of them had been equipped with working sprinkler systems or fire mitigation systems. Imagine that. Then there are the constant train derailments, violent crime, homelessness, and insanity that's been infesting our once beautiful shining cities. We have unprecedented numbers of illegals invading the U.S., and not just from the southern border. We're actually flying people in and rolling out the red carpet from places like Afghanistan and Ukraine now. There are widespread rumors that pandemic lockdowns are coming again, possibly in September or October. Already, schools, colleges, and hospitals have started mandating masks and jabs. And the recent destruction of Lahaina on the island of Maui has more red flags than I can count. I just released an article in radio commentary today. Um, if you read it, it's going to take you 17 minutes. If you listen to it, you're done in 13 <laughs> So you can find it on, under uh, the heading of uh, from the publisher on our website, WisconsinChristianNews.com. It's titled, I'm Beyond Furious, and I'm not kidding about that. But behind all the things we can see are the things that most of us pay no attention to. I'm sure you've all heard about the World Health Organization's plans for a global pandemic treaty. 
implemented in conjunction with the UN. Well, our guest today is going to be discussing all this. He recently wrote an article titled An Accelerated One World Agenda. Gary Ka is with us. Gary is the former Europe and Europe and Middle East trade specialist for the Indiana government. And while in that position, he traveled extensively overseas, working closely with American embassies on trade-related projects. He's written two best-selling books exposing the One World Interfaith Movement. And since his first book, En Route to Global Occupation, was introduced way back in 1992, Gary's been a guest on over a 1,000 uh, uh, radio and TV talk shows. He's spoken at hundreds of Christian conferences, churches, and universities throughout North and Central America, Europe, Asia, and Israel. His research news journal, Hope for the World Update, keeps readers informed of international, economic, political, political, and religious developments that they need to be aware of. And I highly recommend his website to you, which you can find at garyka.org. That's Gary, G-A-R-Y-K-A-H dot org. So, Gary, welcome to the program, and thanks for joining us today. You bet. It's good to be with you, Rob. It's been a few years since you've been here, but um, you've been on my list of people to call, just uh, finally getting around to it. But I I think it's appropriate, and you have some great information for us. There's certainly uh, not a lack of things to talk about. Things are moving forward pretty quickly on the globalist agenda, that's for sure. Absolutely. So the World Health Organization drafted and proposed the implementation of an international pandemic treaty last summer. It's already been a year, and things are kind of speeding up with that. So why don't we start things off today, if you could tell our audience what this treaty is and what it entails. Yeah, let's go back to May 21st to 30th, uh, just a couple of months ago. Uh, That's when the 76th World Health Assembly convened in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, which is where they're having a lot of their meetings these days. And the goal is to get uh, this completed document that they continue to work on there, um, voted on and implemented in May of 2024 at their next assembly meeting, the World Health Assembly. So if it's signed by Biden and the other world leaders, it would give the WHO, which, as you mentioned, operates under the auspices of the UN, exclusive authority in the event of a pandemic to impose quarantines, lockdowns, whatever vaccinations they want, as well as uh, forcing vaccine passports. Uh, An interesting quote uh, that recently came from a man by the name of Mislav Kolakusic. He's a member of the European Parliament for Croatia. And uh, he publicly declared the World Health Organization a terrorist organization after being involved in meetings where he saw what was going on. At a press conference together with Dr. Robert Malone, who is actually one of the Uh, contributors toward the invention of the mRNA technology. He said, and I quote him, he said, I would like to briefly make the people aware of the upcoming danger for humanity. The World Health Organization wants all countries to sign an agreement on handing over the authority to declare a pandemic, procure vaccines and drugs. He says, it will be healthier and safer for humanity to sign an agreement with the Colombian drug cartel. They know all about drugs for sure. Uh, So that's his view on this, on exactly what they're trying to do. I actually Uh, had highlighted that quote to mention today. So (laughs) you beat me to it. You beat me to it. This pandemic uh, document, this so-called international pandemic treaty, if approved, 
It's going to give the WHO the power to declare and manage, manage is important, oversee a global pandemic emergency. And once a health emergency is declared, every signatory nation, including the United States, would have to submit to the authority of the WHO under this agreement. And that includes caving to them on treatments, lockdowns, vaccine mandates, along with government surveillance. And so um, I, I think we can expect another uh, created pandemic sometime in the next 18 months or so, based on what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, what what are the odds? What are the chances? Um, we've got an election coming up. It's it's almost essential to have something. So um, you said in the event of a pandemic. Um, to me, it's not if, it's when. So, but you know, Gary, I thought only Congress had the power to uh, ratify international treaties. This appears to be a done deal already, um, and the U.S. seems to be leading the way. We have a video um, that you referenced in your article from Michelle Bachman. Um, this would, yeah, this is the one. This would be a very good introduction for everybody. If we could just watch the first six minutes or so, um, I think it'll. Um... And Michelle was there in person taking a lot of this in. Uh, right. She did right. a great job reporting on the latest developments from the WHO. So this Quad is first, first-hand information. Um Let's let's take a look and uh, I'll I'll mute. I just left the United Nations building for the world. Seventy six World Health Assembly has been meeting this week. They opened on Sunday. It is now Tuesday, and they've covered the main event that we're all concerned about, which is the attack on national sovereignty. Uh, today was fully devoted to that issue. Tomorrow, people will be able to go to who.int and they'll be able to, uh, there should be a link for the 76th World Health Assembly. And you should be able to then access all speeches, conferences, plenary sessions that have occurred since Sunday. They delay one day posting everything up online I just want to make a couple of points clear first, and that is there are no members of the United States Congress that are present at this conference. There are no House members. There are no members of the United States Senate. I have seen no staff from them here. If they're here, you know, they haven't identified themselves in any way. There is the representatives from the Biden administration, uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Xavier Becerra spoke yesterday here. We also had the delegate uh, to the World Health Assembly from the Biden administration who spoke today. And there's a recording that I'll ask Didi to share with all of us on that. And maybe before I go any further, Didi, do you want to share that recording? The United States continues to be fully committed to the negotiation of a new pandemic accord and amendments to international health regulations to build our collective capacities to prevent and respond to future pandemics and to do so in a way that expands equity for all. 
This year's sobering report of the Independent Oversight and Advisory Committee for the WHO Health Emergencies Program should serve as an urgent call to both the Secretariat and member states to renew our focus on the fundamentals of the WHE. We call on the Secretariat to take steps to implement the recommendations of the IO IOAC, in particular, to clarify roles and responsibilities across the three levels in line with WHO Decision 69-9, develop and resource a staffing strategy for the WHE workforce, ensure efforts to improve the resource base for WHO uh, extend to WHE, and address organization-wide issues such as gender, sexual misconduct, and institutional culture that are particularly important to WHO's emergency work. The United States is committed to the IHR amendment process through the Working Group on Amendments to the IHR 2005, and will continue to work with member states to update the IHR to make it fit for purpose and able to address health emergencies at the earliest possible instance. Member states must continue to improve IHR implementation and compliance by implementing core capacities and striving to improve communications, connectivity, and transparency. The United States is committed to moving forward with a package of targeted amendments to the IHR at WHA 77 and ask that all member states dedicate time and effort to that important agreed outcome. Regarding the HEPR proposal, much has already been done to create and evaluate the current global health architecture, such as the International Health Regulations 2005 and its accompanying monitoring and evaluation framework that focuses on core capacities to prevent the spread of disease and we must deconflict any potential issues that may interfere with current monitoring and evaluation. At the 153rd session of the Executive Board, the United States will propose that the EB task the Subcommittee on Health Emergency Prevention, Preparedness, and Response to carefully consider the HEPR proposals, report to the 154th Executive Board on any area of potential confusion or overlap, and provide a recommendation to the EB on how to address the identified challenges. On the clinical trials item, once the Secretariat releases the initial draft of the guidelines landscape of best practices for clinical trials, we request that an initial consultation be convened soon thereafter for member states to provide feedback before the guidance is finalized. For clinical research in outbreak response settings, we encourage the WHO to consult early and to coordinate with host countries, global experts, and vaccine and therapeutic developers and providers on the development and execution of well-designed clinical trials that respond to the needs of the country experiencing the outbreak. In closing, the United States wishes to extend our sincere gratitude for the work, and in particular to the staff of the WHO, for their tireless dedication and service in responding to an ever-growing number of health emergencies. Thank you, Chair. The point is, during her statement, at the very beginning, of her remark. Uh, the delegate proposed 300 amendments to the international health rules and then also to the global pandemic treaty. Uh, and what she said at the very beginning of the statement that you ran, Didi, is that the United States is all in favor. We're, we're the aggressor nation in all of this, pushing and promoting this change to the international health rules. And she said, we are, you know, they, they are working for the package of the 300 amendments. She didn't say anything like, we're looking at changing them, modifying them, altering. They're all in on these amendments. Then 
Uh, she talked about the uh, pandemic. They call it an accord. Uh, it's been interchangeable in the last few days. Some of the delegates say treaty. Some of the delegates say accord. The United States is usually fairly careful to call it an accord. But the point is, we've been talking about this as two separate possibilities for passing uh, the ability to create a platform for global governance so that all 194 member nations can have a platform to transfer their sovereignty over health care to the World Health Organization. That's what this is all about. That's why you're all. Okay. So, Gary, is the entire world gone insane? I mean, how do you get 193 nations to agree on anything, much less something like this? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it seems like if they're willing to hand over their power and any say they have in any type of uh, health situation uh, to this global body, the UN, uh, the World Health Organization, and uh, the Biden administration, uh, as Michelle said, is all in on this thing. In fact, they've been involved in helping to draft this uh, pandemic treaty. But like she also said, uh, it's being called an accord. And just like with NAFTA, you know, the North American Free Trade Agreement, really it was a treaty, but I mean, they called it an agreement. And that's how they get around the Constitution. And some people might say, how, you know, how can all of this happen uh, when only Congress can ratify a treaty? Well, that's how they do it. Uh, a friend of uh, mine with uh, Wellverse Ministry, Jim Garlow, uh, uh, address that as well. He said, but you say this cannot happen without the consent of our Congress, right? Wrong. It is happening now. But wait, you say, only the Senate can approve a treaty, right? Yes, but Biden has done a runaround, not calling it a treaty, but calling it an accord. However, it is still binding because the U.S. is a signatory nation. Now, if we got out of the World Health Organization, which I'd be all for, and I hope some people feel some real heat on that. Uh, that if enough people write their congressmen uh, and senators, maybe we can have an impact in that area, having seen what the World Health Organization has already done and understanding who runs it. Um, maybe something can be done along those lines. I know uh, some of the state governors would love to see us come out of uh, the World Health Organization, but so far there's been uh, no movement at the federal level and uh, the Health and Human Services uh, Department, specifically their secretary, Javier Becerra, uh, was working with Pedro Stubraeus, uh, the head of the World Health Organization, to come up with this draft that's been in existence since February, which unless they change anything, uh, would end up being the final uh, accord, the wording of it. Uh, so the US, uh, as Michelle said, is, is in on this. Uh, completely in and is actually the main pusher behind it of all the nations, along with China. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do we have any recourse at all? Do even our county sheriffs um, have any power to defy this? Yeah, some good news there. Um, <clears throat> back in um, 2020, when COVID was making itself felt, our governor here in Indiana, uh, where I live, uh, kind of went for a power grab. He, he thought he could use this to pass some orders and, and uh, take more command of the situation in what I believe was an unconstitutional kind of way. And for a day or so, it looked like it was going to happen. But then the sheriff in our county stuck his neck out. He said, this is unconstitutional. I will not go along with it. And I will work against it. 
The next day, something like 30 other sheriffs from around the state threw their hat into the ring and said the same thing. That gave some uh, emboldenment to the Indiana General Assembly, some courage. They took a stand. The whole thing was shut down. The governor here was not able to do what he wanted to do. In fact, Indiana was one of those states that stayed relatively open. I mean, on a Friday night, uh, you could go to a small town a few miles from here. And I remember looking around and estimating maybe 100 people walking out there, going to restaurants and stuff. Three or four of them had masks on. But it was almost business as usual. And you compare that to California or New York and some other places. And it was all because one sheriff said no, and then many others joined him. And it was kind of an embarrassment to the governor, um, but uh, they, he, he couldn't do what he wanted to do. So people need to make some noise on this, especially the sheriffs, because they can do something about it. Also state governors themselves. If conservative state governors would take a stand, that puts pressure on the liberal state governors because the people in those states see the freedom that people have in the other states and then begin to put pressure on the governor of the more liberal states. Uh, and if all else fails, they move out and go somewhere else. Yeah, if they're allowed to. Uh, this sounds like it's not quite that easy in California yeah. to leave. Yeah. Uh, like they say, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave California. So You might have to pay some exit taxes if you do. Yeah, so, I mean well worth it um so gary who runs the world health organization who, well, who's it's, behind it's, all this i mean yeah. obviously the un is in cahoots but but yeah. who's at the top specifically the the person's name is tedros jabreus his name a funny last name it's pronounced different ways but uh typically jabreus and uh, if you want to know who this guy is and who he was he was a marxist revolutionary leader from ethiopia where he was responsible for massive upheaval and mayhem in that country. And he's been very close to China and to the Chinese leadership for many years. Um, and so he's a hardcore socialist. He was rewarded by being made the head of the World Health Organization. And if you wanna go a step further, who heads up the UN, the UN Secretary General uh, Guterres or Guterres, uh, depending how you wanna pronounce his name, um, he was the president of Portugal, and during part of that time, he was the president of an organization called the Socialist International, which is the mothership of socialist organizations around the world. It's like spokes going out from the middle of a wheel. I mean, that is the most important socialist organization in the world. He was the head of that, the president. So, I mean, I suppose you go a step further and just call it communist, because ultimately, you know, that's what's being promoted. So you've got the head of the UN, the head of the World Health Organization, hardcore socialists, and nobody in the major mainstream media is telling people about that, even though it's a documented fact. Anybody can find out about it. It's not that hard to research their backgrounds. Uh, so that's what the UN is about. It, and so if people wonder why we're drifting down this path towards socialism in the United States, it's a preparation for us to go into a global system of government that's going to be built upon largely a socialist foundation, uh, but also with a lot of influence from very wealthy capitalists, ironically, from the West, that use our free enterprise system to, to gain the wealth that they have, which now they're putting it toward uh, enhancing the World Health Organization's efforts and to bring in this uh, global government. It, it's crazy what's going on in the world we're living in right now. 
you said it. I mean, it makes my head hurt uh, thinking, you know, how do these corporations go along with this? Um, I, I don't see how they're going to benefit under a, a communist uh, regime. I think some of them believe that by helping out now, it'll put them in a key leadership role of influence uh, once it takes shape. People like Bill Gates, who's uh, donated approximately $10 billion to the World Health Organization to go toward vaccination programs. That's that's just one example. Well, you know, history tells us that the uh, the traders are usually the first ones to go once the communists take over, right? That's so. right. You know, I mean, and, and you look to how Hitler operated. Some of the very people who helped him get into power, he got rid of afterwards because he felt they were the biggest threat to him. And that, that's how the mafia works, too. Um, these now, people if they're going to sell out their own people, they're, you know, they're not trustworthy, obviously. Yeah, no, so. exactly. Yeah. So. Well, interestingly, but I guess predictably, they've now found a way to tie this uh health treaty into so-called climate change. Uh, we have another video from Michelle Bachman um, with an update on this. If we can cue that up, um, this one's only two minutes or so, but it will explain things for us. I want to go to uh, Michelle Bachman, Congressman Michelle Bachman uh, in Geneva. Congressman MTG just gave you a huge shout out as being one of the great fighters out there. She wishes she was with you shoulder to shoulder uh, in uh, in Geneva. She'll be there next time. She's fighting this debt ceiling right now. Give us an update, ma'am. Well, what we need everyone in Congress and the Senate to do, quite frankly, is get the United States out of the World Health Organization. And I appreciate the defunding. That's a great thing that Donald Trump did. But we also need to follow Donald Trump's example and get the United States out. It's the only way we're going to get away from their plans to create a platform for global governance. Today uh, was the Sustainable Roundtable at the World Health Assembly on climate change. (laughs) And so, believe it or not, the centerpiece of today was forcing all these delegates to listen to none other than John Kerry from the United States. He was introduced by his daughter, uh, Dr. Vanessa Kerry, who, by the way, is the head of the Global Seed Foundation. And uh, she is a recipient of millions of dollars from the uh, Clinton uh, Health Initiative. So all this, there's this incestuous relationship of organizations and money. But the big thing today is this. The head of the World Health Organization, Tedros Gebrasius, said that the climate crisis is a health crisis. He said the climate crisis is their priority. Climate is the number one mission of Healthcare. So they, they, one of the doctors in charge of the environment and climate at the World Health Organization said very clearly that we were focused on infectious diseases, but now we're going to be moving away from infectious diseases and we're going to focus now on climate change. So the, so all of these climate change people who saw they were going to establish global government through climate change. Now they see after the pandemic, and that works so well for the World Health Organization to try to control people's lives. Now they see that the, the platform, if you will, for global government is coming through healthcare. So the climate change people are jumping square in. 
They were given the centerpiece stool today, if you will. They were all cheered by uh, the, the head, Tedros Gibracious, saying the same thing that John Kerry was saying. And John Kerry said, well, I never thought about health care before. I never thought health care had anything to do with climate change until my daughter, Vanessa, his 46-year-old daughter, taught him to uh, turn on the light bulb and realize that really uh, the centerpiece of healthcare is ch climate change and that climate change causes the healthcare problems in the world. That's what was stated today. So now what we're seeing is once again, our old. Yeah, Rob, can I, can I expand just a little bit on what Michelle said here? I wish um, you would, because I'm speechless. I, I, I haven't heard such stupidity in, in a while. Yeah, you've you got the same, the same group pretty much now and that's been involved with uh, the WHO and pushing the International Pandemic Treaty, uh, working hand in glove on uh, the environmental front. And there's a meeting coming up uh, this September, just, uh, just around the corner, the 2023 SDG Summit. And I have a, a quote here from the official UN webpage about this summit. It says, the 2023 SDG summit will take place on September 18th and 19th in New York. It will mark the beginning of a new phase of accelerated progress towards the sustainable development goals with high-level political guidance on transformative and accelerated actions leading up to 2030. So they're working completely within the WEF's 2030 Great Reset Agenda in cahoots with that. It goes on to say, convened by the President of the General Assembly, the summit will mark the halfway point to the deadline set for achieving the 2030 Agenda and the Sustainable Development Goals. It will be the centerpiece of the high-level week of the General Assembly. It will respond to the impact of multiple and interlocking crises facing the world. Notice it says crises, plural. Um, this 2030 agenda and the sustainable development goals are, are a blueprint really for creating a far left globalist world government. And they're gonna push to the core to get this done as quickly as possible. But it doesn't stop uh, there with this meeting coming up. That's gonna lay the groundwork for a much bigger meeting in September of 24, 2024. So I just wanna go into this because this is the, the big one. It's gonna be called the Summit of the Future, a little bit over a year from now. And on the official UN website, they admit that one of the purposes of the Summit of the Future is to quote, put in place a stronger international response playbook for complex global shocks, maximizing the use of the Secretary General's convening power in the form of an emergency platform. In other words, giving them emergency powers. It would give them unprecedented emergency powers at the UN. Um, many of the details of the UN uh, emergency platform were laid out in a March of this year policy paper titled Strengthening the International Response to Complex Global Shocks, an Emergency Platform. And this particular UN policy paper gives several examples of what could trigger the emergency authority. Now listen to this. This is what could trigger uh, the UN's emergency authority. It includes major climatic event, in other words, climate change, future pandemic risks, a global digital connectivity disruption. And by that, I assume they mean like a cyber attack or an EMP, 
a major event in outer space, their words, and generic unforeseen risks. So in other words, almost anything, any kind of crisis, uh, they could seize upon to declare an international emergency at the UN level um, and implement something, whether through the World Health Organization or in, in other ways. And so we need to take this seriously, but that meeting is in September of 2024. And I had a person who's been mentored by a top person within the World Health, uh, within um, the World Economic Forum, excuse me, say that they have big, big plans for 2024. And when he asked the question, when this great reset could really begin moving forward rapidly, uh, before he could get the words out of his mouth, the person he was talking to, who's very much involved in the WEF said, 2024, 2024. So clearly that's a target date. I'm not saying all this is gonna be implemented then, but that's, they're pushing in a big way to get a lot done next year. And a lot of this is going to be leading up uh, to the elections if we have them here in the US. If we have them, yes. Um, Gary, in your article, you said that the WHO is planning a simulation exercise this fall. Is that what we were just talking about or is that something else? That's something else, but it will piggyback on this, I'm sure, because they're all working together on this. Uh, if you recall, there was an event 201 simulation mm -hmm. exercise in October of 2019. And then within weeks after that, uh, we now know that um, the, the, um, uh, the virus began moving out from Wuhan and spreading around the world. And there's no way that was a coincidence. If you watch segments from event 201 um, and how, how they would react to an international pandemic, it's, it's exactly what ended up happening. Uh, Gates was there, uh, various UN officials, even the Chinese Center for Disease Control, get that, was mm -hmm. represented at that meeting in New York. Uh, in uh, I think the third week of, of October in 2019. Now they wanna have another meeting similar to that um, coming up. And so uh, when you have meetings like that, they're basically a rehearsal is what it is. So you know something's going to be coming down the pike. Now, I don't know if it's gonna be a matter of weeks or months or a year, um, but we know they're gonna use that again. However, this time, many more people have been awakened to this strategy and, and these kind of tactics. So I think there's going to be a significant amount of pushback by the American people, at least 15, 20, 30 percent. Um, and you're going to have certain state governors, I think, say, no way, we're not going to go along with this. Uh, right now, it's it's difficult to picture Christy Noem of, of South Dakota um, or, you know, other other governors, uh, DeSantis in Florida, uh, going along with it when they had such good success the first time around. So unless it's very deadly, I mean, really deadly, um, I think a lot of governors are going to push back. So much of this could unfold on a state-by-state -state basis, and there could be a bit of a rebellion and even a, a type of civil, uh, not on, civil disobedience on this front. And then that, that's when things really get sticky. How are the feds going to respond at that point? How will the UN respond? It'll be interesting to see. But I think within the next 18 months or so, we're going to see this. Well, I'm here in September or October is what I'm hearing. And um, even well, rumors a, rumors about the TSA already being, you know, being prepared to implement, uh, you know, the masking again. So Yeah, there, there is a strain out there now that's making its way around uh, 
our, our son just had COVID a couple weeks ago, but so far from what I'm seeing, it's not near as strong um, and causing as many problems, at least at this point, um, as uh, COVID-19 did in the beginning. So unless they come out with something a lot worse, um, I think they're gonna have more difficult time selling this to the people. But then again, they control the power centers of our government now. Um, and, and you know, except for the House and, and people like Jim Jordan pushing back on some things, um, who knows what they might be able to try uh, to force upon the American people. Um, part of it depends on whether or not they plan to have another election, because um, as unpopular as Biden is right now, if he forces everything to shut down, uh, it'd be difficult to imagine that he'd get reelected in a fair election. Um, so if they crack down real hard, um, and if then there is pushback and rebellion of sorts, they may seize that opportunity to declare martial law in a state of national emergency. I would put it past them to do that. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're in un uncharted territory. We've never been this close in U.S. history to losing our constitutional freedoms to international uh, bureaucracies that are headed up by socialists. It's unbelievable. Yes, it is. Um, I have more questions, but before I get into mine, uh, anyone in our audience have any co comments or questions? Just raise your hand and we'll bring you right in. Uh, Harry. Harry. This is shifting gears, so I hope this is all right. Well, this is on my list of questions. I know what your question is, and it's on my list, too. It's on my list, too. Okay. You know, you speak better than I do. Maybe you should ask. No, no, you go. Oh, no, you go. You know, the digital currency is a done deal someday. It's going to happen. My, my question, concern, wonder, I can draw a lot of parallels between the digital currency and the mark of the beast. Uh, the end result is the same. If you don't take it, you don't buy, sell, trade, you don't travel, you don't do anything. If we don't worship the beast, the same thing's going to happen. So where does the digital currency fit into the end game? You know, is this just a precursor? Once we have it, will we ever get rid of it? Will, will it tie us to something that we can't get out of if we take it now? Yeah, good question. That's um, uh, one I'm getting almost daily right now. People, a lot of people are thinking about this. Um, they're pretty far along with this agenda, first of all. The Fed Now program, as it's been named, uh, provides the necessary uh, infrastructure to accommodate every individual in the U.S. to conduct all financial transactions without the use of physical cash. So they had to get that in place before they could take the next step. That's in place now allegedly since the end of July. They've been putting that in place in a, in a major way for the last six to 12 months. So with that there now, they just have to launch this somehow. And the question is, how are they going to do it? Is it gonna be a gradual fade out where some of the mega corporations begin to announce they're not taking cash anymore, that you can only pay by credit or digitally? Um, some of that's already underway. I know some restaurants around here don't take any cash anymore. And so that's beginning to happen. So they may use that just to kind of warm the American people up. Uh, so I think what the approach they might take is little by little by little and then all at once, the big thing. And, and, and to go all the way in, it seems to me, and I could be wrong about this, but I think it may take an economic crisis of sorts. 
to get the American people to go along with getting rid of our cash and, and going into this um, central bank digital currency. But it's worldwide. Over 100 countries are working on these type of currencies now. Uh, Nigeria has come out with it. Uh, ironically, only about half the people there even had bank accounts. So a lot of bankers in the West were waiting to see how are they going to pull this off. And the government over there has become quite forceful. There's been a lot of protesting and rebellion among the people, but they're trying uh, to force this upon the people. So I think it's a sign of what's coming here in the U.S., but because the U.S. people, our nature has been to be very independent, right? And so they're going to have to do something really special to get the American people to go along with it. Probably it's going to take an economic crisis of sorts. Now, to your point, if they're able to get rid of all cash, uh, which I think they're going to attempt to do it. It now appears within the next two years or so, while, probably while Biden's still in. And again, it may wait till after an election if they think he can win again. I don't know. Only God knows that. But it, it, it is coming. They're going to make that attempt. And when that happens, uh, one possibility I see is that states, certain states are going to create their own state banking oh. systems insured by the state rather than the FDIC at, at the federal level to try to bypass all this, because I think this is where some people are going to draw the line. Um, but as far as it being the mark of the beast, we're going to see how this how this unfolds. I like to stick closely with scripture, and it talks about a mark actually being placed upon individuals. And I think there's a reason for that. And that's a whole other rabbit trail I have to go on to explain that. But if this central bank digital currency comes out and cash is completely eliminated, at the very least, this would be the last step before the mark of the beast. The only thing left to do at that point would be to actually tag people themselves uh, with a, a means of buying or selling that is actually on your body. And I can expand a little bit on that. Uh, can I? Do we have time, Rob? Uh, yes, yes. And oh, then we okay. have JR and then we have Betty. Okay, about three summers ago, uh, I came across some information of something taking place in West Africa where uh, there was experimenting going on with uh, the poor people over there. They're always guinea pigs for, uh, it seems like, every evil agenda there is. And it, uh, it involved three organizations that were allied together on this project. It involved GAVI, G-A-V-I, which is an acronym for the Global Alliance of Vaccines and Immunizations. They get a lot of their funding from the Rockefeller Foundation and from Gates, Bill Gates. Uh, and that represents the vaccine side of this. Uh, Trust Stamp, a company named Trust Stamp, uh, uh, represents the technology side of this. Uh, they're moving forward rapidly on, on that end. And then MasterCard represents the financial side of it. And so this is like a, a, a cord of three where the goal is to come up with a digital ID that would be put on, on a person. And once that's on a person using a certain app from a smartphone that has like infrared technology, they could read the back of your hand and it would give off a certain signal, your specific code, and you'd be able to use that to buy or sell as well. So it's gonna be in the name of health uh, involving uh, vaccines, it will contain your medical record and uh, your financial information and ability to buy and sell. And it's called, the technology being used is called uh, quantum dot technology. 
and it's little tiny needles that you barely feel. You know, a, a small child wouldn't even cry. It, you just smack, slap it down on there. It doesn't take a nurse with a, a long syringe. Anybody would be able to do this and put it on the back of the hand or for that matter, the forehead. And then these little sugar-based needles dissolve, but they leave this infrared marker, uh, 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 invisible uh, marker that has all this information on it. And to me, that sounds the closest to the mark of the beast of anything I've seen, because it, once people have that, and there may be a, a, a vaccine that goes with that, uh, that is actually contained in these needles as well. And so uh, this contains everything. But once I found out about this, within a couple months, everything went dark. I haven't heard one thing since, but this was three years ago. So you can imagine how far along it would be now. And they were simply working any bugs out of it, uh, but it's clearly intended to go international. And the technology was developed by a couple of uh, universities here in the United States with uh, uh, some funding from the Gates Foundation. So that's where I think things are actually headed. And I think they had to get away from the syringe because a lot of people, they, they wouldn't volunteer to have a big needle stuck in them with a computer chip in it. But now we're looking at something that goes on as easy as a Band-Aid with virtually no pain or discomfort and it, it accomplishes all their purpose. So uh, keep your eyes on that. I think we're not too far away from that taking place. But first they have to go all digital. And then I think that will be the next step. I remember reporting on that three years ago and uh, people thought I was crazy. People always think I'm crazy. JR, come on into the show. Hey, thank you, brother. Yeah, I, I get a lot of that crazy thing myself. Gary, thank you for the research that you've done. I try to look at things in terms of opportunities as versus problems. And the other thing is, I think we need to stop playing defense. Yes, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of things they want us to react to. But why don't we start taking the offense and let them start worrying about what they have to react, react to? And I think basically what we have here is an opportunity to reset the American countryside, if you will, with we the people we're still the bakers they still have to control us if they try to do it with fear or you can do this and you can do that we need to turn the tables on them start playing offense for example with the mask we start doing that now you'd mention the sheriff starting get with the sheriffs and say sheriff uh, you really don't want to happen what happened three two three years ago do you well no i don't so let's work together and let's do something to keep this from happening yeah, I agree. Uh, sheriffs are very key in all of this, and I think their their power has been underestimated. If they bind together, they they could really stand in the gap on this. Amen. Um, what we have, though, is you have people that have naively, or or many of them are socialists now in some states. You know, you've got as many as forty percent or more of the population that lines up with socialism. And so that's the problem in states like California and New York. I don't think right now it's very difficult uh, to win the battle in those states because uh, conservatives are, are, they're just plain outnumbered. And so we've reached that point. We crossed that probably 10, 15 years ago. You know, my book came out 30 years ago, 32 years ago. And, and I wish to God people had listened and taken action then. Back then it would have been much easier to do something, but now, these powerful people with lots of money and influence in the media, they control uh, the talking points, they control um, uh, really our finances to a, a large degree. The big banks are all in on this. 
And, and so it's, a, it's an uphill battle now. And certain states are, are all but done. Unless California can be divided up into several states, there is a move to try to make that happen. Uh, but it's going to be very difficult. And so that's what we're facing. But I think there will be states, uh, at least initially, that may be safe havens for this that are going to draw lines and say, we're not, we're not doing this. We did move from other states to come here and, and now see it happen in this state. And so it's important in states like Florida, Texas, Arkansas, South Dakota, um, you know, that they, they hold their ground and that the governors uh, speak out. If they stand together and create their own association of governors, they could have some major impact. But something else that's overlooked in all this, the mayors of big cities are very powerful people. Over 90% of them in this country now are far left-leaning Democrats. They've taken hold of the big cities, and I don't think they're going to give it back with that, without a fight. Uh, a, a close election in a big city would be a Democrat winning by five or six percentage points. That's about the best that we're able to do right now in most cities around the country. And that's unfortunate, but you've got uh, cities that dominate state politics. In Illinois, for example, our son lives there. Downstate Illinois, is, it's very conservative. It's much like Indiana. But the problem is you've got six to eight million people in the Chicagoland area, and they vote so far liberal that it doesn't matter if, if the rest of the state votes 80% conservative, the liberals still get in in Illinois. And that's the problem in, in California as well, uh, in, in Minnesota. Minnesota, for the most part, is a conservative state if you get outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul. But the big cities control it. Georgia's becoming that way with Atlanta. And so we have to understand that problem. That's what we're up against is the cities have way too much power and control in these states. And unless somehow uh, that changes, uh, it's going to be a, a, a huge uphill battle. Or we, if we work around them. That's yeah. there, but we can still work around it. Well, um, it, it baffles my mind how people in, like in Chicago can still, um, and California, can still vote Democrat or yeah. left leftist and see that their, their state in, and their cities are being destroyed. Um, well, we were, uh, I was just in Montana with my wife a few weeks ago, and, and overall it's been a pretty conservative state. But so many liberals had put tons and tons of money into that state. Uh, in Missoula, uh, a university town, uh, very liberals having more and more influence in Montana. So now some of the uh, races up there are very close. And you've got socialists getting in, even in Montana. And when I spoke at a function there, uh, the city council members were there and also the mayor and the head librarian for that town. And the mayor... And the head librarian were the ones that opposed me openly at the forum. In fact, the mayor was just flat out rude. Um, it didn't hardly give me a chance to document anything that I was saying. But fortunately, in that particular town, the four city council members are, are standing with, with us. Uh, they would agree with us. We're on the same page. And the mayor can't do a whole lot without the city council members. So there's a lot of contention there. And I'd like to see that in other cities around uh, around the United States, where councilmen take a stand, they're not afraid of the mayor, and they're willing to oppose him, because we've got to get these liberal mayors out somehow, uh, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of money, resources, education, and it's difficult because the local media is pretty much, they're also controlled by the far left now. There are very few that aren't, and uh, uh, anyway. 
it's a yeah, I've got a good I've got a good friend in Montana and he's told me that um uh it's turning into a leftist state because people are fleeing from California and moving to Montana and bringing all that stuff with them. Which doesn't make so. sense in a way when you think about it. They're getting out of a state because of how it is, you know, but then they still bring enough of their beliefs with them yeah. and that they're going to turn that place now into what they just left. Right. Know? And another friend in Florida has basically said the same things happening there. And, um, you know, the Floridians are having nothing to do with it, but um, they're still bringing it. Uh, Betty uh, has had her hand up for a while. Let's bring Betty in. Hey, yes, I'm really enjoying listening to you. Great job at what you're doing. Uh, you're right, the money's disappearing because I went to Charlotte about six months ago, took $600 to be with my son and his family, figured, well, I got to buy something for the granddaughter, buy a meal here, this and that. I came home with $600. I was fit to be tied because they would not take it. And if I'd have been by myself, I probably would have ate my meal and then walked out, you know. Where was this, Betty? Charlotte, oh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and also the Amazon store, they're using palm readers like, and uh, I saw a video in China where they're starting to put computer chips in, in the foreheads of people, and they use a computer, so when they walk out, it, it does its thing, and so, you know, that mark of the beast is coming, it's just right around the corner, the thing is, people keep complying and complying, and see, I was a school bus driver, and I was also an instructor. And if you make someone do it over and over and over and over again, it becomes a habit. And then they do it without thinking. So every time I see this stuff, they're they're trying to make people comply and do it over and over and over. And eventually they just say, well, we'll just do it, you know. And I also have a brother that lives in Billings, you know, and he's been up there for years. I'm from North Dakota originally. And he said the FEMA trains go crazy up there, especially at night. Mm. he's been keeping tabs of them and letting me know what's going on. Yeah. I, I think Betty, I think regarding um, moving away from cash, I think the final straw possibly uh, what, what they're going to use the globalists to get rid of cash. If there is another pandemic, they'll say cash is tainted with this virus and it's no longer safe. We've got to get rid of cash for health reasons. I think that's going to be one of their big reasons that they're going to give to try to push uh, on that. And now that the technology is in place, they'll be able to move forward more quickly. And I think that's, that's where some lines have to be drawn and where if people are ever going to stand up and really push back and say, no, we're not going to do this. But again, the Fed and the Treasury control cash. So if they just stop printing it, you know, it's going to be gone eventually. I mean, our bills can only circulate so long and they fall apart. And so there's a lot of control at the top. And 95% of Washington, D.C., 95%, not an exaggeration, actual number, is socialist. Only 5% of Washington, D.C. inhabitants voted Republican in the last election. That's mind-boggling. And so how do you get rid of all those bureaucrats that are in there? You know, they're headed up, all these uh, departments, these executive office departments are headed up by liberals, but their downline has become more and more and more liberal as well to the point where now 95% of them are, you know, le very left-leaning. So you literally have to um, get a president in who's willing to fire every department head, but not just that, everybody going down at least five or 10 steps, basically a wipeout of the entire federal government starting from scratch. That's that's what would have to happen. 
in Washington, D.C. to change things at the national level. I, I just don't see that happening. And that's why I think a lot of this is going to come down to state leadership. And I've wondered before, as, as far as America overall has gone down this path and some of the unspeakable immoralities that we're witnessing right now on so many different fronts, how is God going to end up judging America? Is it going to be a, a complete judgment of the whole country or is it going to be selective? Because there are big differences in our country from one place to another. And, and so much of this um, nonsense is coming from the coasts and a few other cities, mainly from, from big cities, Washington, New York, uh, San Francisco. A lot of it starts in those cities and then spreads around the country. But I, I can't imagine uh, you know, God looking on indefinitely and, and not doing something because unless those major power centers are dealt with somehow, nothing's of significance is going to change in, in the rest of the country, except maybe at the, at the state level. Like I said, if different states band together, they come out with their own currency and their own banking system. But then they'll be called traitors by the feds. They'll say this is, you know, like the civil war all over again, and they're seceding from the union, and which in a way they would be at that point in time. And so this is going to get really sticky. It's it's not easy. It's gone so far down this path. We we do need to realize what we're up against. It doesn't mean we shouldn't take a stand and and push back where we can. Uh, but it's not going to be just a simple everybody just, you know, do this or that because we're dealing with some... Well, I believe that uh, a lot of evil has infiltrated our churches and the Republicans. And yeah. a lot of our Republicans, I'm sad to say they're cowards. They are a lot of talk and no action. And if they would just get out there, but I believe we're winning. We have people behind the scene, like Rob, like Coach Dave, like all of them, that are getting the word out. And I believe we're winning and there is going to be a great awakening. Well, I'm sure praying for that as well. And I am seeing pockets of that. It's encouraging, uh, but it's not at a majority level uh, at this time, you know, but it is uh, people are waking up. I think the globalists realize that, too. So they're they're between a rock and a hard place from their standpoint, because they're trying to figure out right now how fast do we move uh, if we move too slow. It might give people time to catch on and more people to wake up and push back on this. But if they move too fast, there could be an all out rejection, you know, and pushback at the same time. So they're they're pioneering this. They're trying to take the path of least resistance where they can get the most bang for, for their efforts. And right now I see that as being the World Health Organization, this whole climate uh, stuff that's going on. All these wildfires and everything, northern Canada, Maui. Uh, you know, I, I'm not saying everything is weather manipulation, but I do know that our, our governments of the uh, United States, Russia, as well as more recently China, uh, do have some abilities to do certain things. So I wonder sometimes how much of what's going on is actually being manipulated weather-wise. And, and again, how much longer is God going to tolerate that? Because there, there are all of these are, are an effort to destroy God's created order of things, the way things were meant to be. And it's completely turning everything on its head. And a holy God isn't going to look on indefinitely. And I want to also add JR, because JR does a great job, you know, getting the word out. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And Gary, I think everything is being orchestrated. Um, you wondered how much. I think it's all orchestrated. I think we're in a big theater production. And um, 
nothing you see is real. <laughs> um, well, you've crazy. heard the saying, yesterday's conspiracy theories are today's headlines. And I think yeah. uh, for the most part, that's true. You know, everything that people said we were crazy about 30 years ago, we see unfolding before our eyes right now. Three years ago. I yeah. still talk about event 201. People don't even know what it is or believe that it, you know, it's total conspiracy nonsense. You can easily look it up. Amazingly, you can still look it up um, on the uh, internet. So. And I just want to encourage people to go to our website, GaryCod.org, and you can read uh, some articles and, and also uh, get our research news journal to stay up on these things. We'd really appreciate your support in that regard. Yep, and uh, that is Gary, G-A-R-Y-K-A-H dot org. We are out of time, folks. Boy, it went fast. I had a few more pages of things for Gary, but we're not going to get to them this time. But uh, hopefully he'll come back here and join us again in the future. Um, GaryCaw.org. And um, Dr. Mike will be here next week. I'll be back in two weeks with Mark Sutherland, who has been um, – under the radar, but in the United States, secretly infiltrating some um, nefarious organizations. I think he's going to give us an up-to-date report on that. So we'll see you in two weeks. Uh, tune in next week for Dr. Mike, and God bless everybody. See ya. Bye. Thank you.